Jordan and Gretzky, Serena and Ruth Remembering great ones is easy to do But what about the no names who spent their whole lives Long stepping footballs and catching sack flies They're guys, remember that guy some guys now what do tigers dream of when they take a little tiger snooze do they dream of mauling zebras or remember that guy the show we minor memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present uh hey there folks i'm one of your hosts james and i think we're just about ready to earn our stripes we're ready to earn our stripes we're ready to collect our rings i have my ring finger ready right here and we have a very special guest here he is actually going to be manufacturing the rings. Please introduce yourself. Yeah, that's right. It's me, you know, the greatest ring maker in the history of America, the very special guest Xavier. But we have an even more special guest, returning guest. Please introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Evan. I'm the mind and voice behind Gaijin Baseball. Nice to be back on. It is nice to have you back on because in addition to that, you are our Nippon expert, our resident uh, Japanese baseball course. I'm the resident weeb. Let's just be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I could say it. Xavier on like pure weeb status might give you a run for your money. But in this specific category, you absolutely have us beat. My Uh, desk is not helping my case here. I I will say having been in the room that Xavier records from, it's a good thing that the camera is facing the way that it is. (laughs) All the body pillows everywhere. <laughs> no body pillows. I have a wife, so that's the one thing I don't have. <laughs> a real um, body Z- pillow. I will also, Xavier's amiibo collection is unlike any I've ever seen. It is elite. I, I would say, uh, do you think, are you over 50% of amiibos created are within your ownership? No, definitely not. I like Amiibos, but I like just figures in general. So Amiibos are a sm- much smaller portion of things I have. I only get the Amiibos of things that I like. Like I did recently get the Zelda Amiibo that just came out. But I think I only have like 20 Amiibos. I think there's like 100 plus that they've made. So nowhere close. Only 20 Amiibos. <laughs> Do they also have the bad taste coding that the Switch cartridges have? I want me to taste one right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no but you know what I would like a taste of is a little discussion of the NPB season that was because much like the MLB season it has wrapped and there is a champion that has been crowned Diaz would you like to tell us what team is the current champion look one of my favorite phrases is how can you not be romantic about baseball how can you not be romantic about Akinobo Okada a member of that 1985 team Returning back for his second stint and then his first go-round back with the Hanshin Tigers. KFC's quiver all throughout the region as the Hanshin Tigers reclaim their rightful place as champions. I did see a video today before this of uh, Colonel Sanders' cosplayer that got tossed in the river. Yeah, he, I'm he, glad he, that they got <laughs> a willing participant that wasn't a statue and that presumably there was also some more river-based security and lifeguarding services. Oh, there was, there was cops were like, as soon as the game started, the cops were all swarming the Dothanbori area, just making sure no one would jump. Although there is a thing that did happen with that one cosplayer who got chucked in. Uh, he lost his wig. So another 38 years without a title. (laughs) I'm joking, but oh man, 38 years. So one thing that I just want to say while we're talking about international baseball in general, because this was pointed out today while I was uh, scrolling through Blue Sky, is that it was a full year of like long title droughts. The Rangers was 62 years, Honchin Tigers 38, and then two more slightly short ones. But the LG Twins in the KBO had a 29 year drought before winning this year. And the CPBL's Dragons. The H1 Dragons, yeah. Yeah, had been like disbanded, refounded in 2019, mm-hmm. and just now 26 years after their most recent championship. Only a couple years after. Was it 24 or is it 26? Aren't there only like six teams in that league anyway? Yeah, uh, there's six teams in that league. Uh, oh, okay, oh, 99 Taiwan Series Championships. I'm yeah, sorry, Taiwan I was going off the league yeah. championships. Yeah. Different. Was, it, was that one... When Taiwanese pro baseball was split into two, 
the CPBL and the Taiwan Major League? Uh, I, I'm that is possible. But what I can tell is I was looking at the league championships, which are how you qualify for the Taiwan. Oh series. yeah, Taiwan series. That, there it's you like, go. Uh, the triple A seasons often were like there's oh, a yeah. team that won with the best record in the first half, the team that won the second half. Whatever. That's Taiwan. A cool year of droughts. Yeah, but the drought we are concerned. You are now the China Trust brothers. So yeah. yeah, there you go. But yeah, the Hanshin Tigers beat the Orcs Buffalo. I mean, in addition to all of that, they had you, Diaz. They had you, Ryan, behind them. How does it feel to have? This be the one championship you get in the last calendar year. I mean, it's it's very it's a sense of relief because I was starting to get to the point that I was like, am I the problem? Am I the curse? <laughs> and I, this could hopefully be a big breakthrough in in Diazville. Look, Newcastle, we're still holding on in that Champions League group. Sixers, we'll we'll dive in more on the next episode, but obviously the Sixers. Couldn't be looking better right now. And I just hope that all of the teams can follow the example of the Hanshin Tigers. There is one other question I had related to the series, actually about the losers, York's Buffalo, yeah. who have, uh, if I'm not mistaken, now made three straight pants. Yes. The third time in franchise history they've done that. Well, and... It is interesting that you say franchise history because that kind of ties into my question. So the Oryx Buffaloes, for those that do not know, are a sort of Frankenstein-esque combination of the, we'll say, Kintetsu Buffalo and Oryx Blue Wave. I think that's the best way to kind of sum up the two previous franchises. Yeah, yeah. Uh, They don't consider Kintetsu Buffalo's history their history. I personally do Mm -hmm. because, you know, it was a merger, not a takeover. And uh, depending on who you ask, but, like I tend to separate that out because, like at the time they were different teams, so I wouldn't put the fact that the Buffaloes made the Japan series six years in a row uh, in the late seventies because it was two separate teams at the time. You had the then Honkyu Braves win the PL in seventy five, seventy six, seventy seven, seventy eight, and then the Buffaloes won it in seventy nine and eighty. Even then, like, the Kintetsu Buffaloes never won a Japan Series title, so you can't really say, like, oh, you know, do the Braves have, sorry, the Buffaloes have six titles, or do they have however many, or five titles, sorry, or however many. But, yeah, third time in the franchise history that they've made the Japan Series three years in a row. The first time, they lost all three. The second time, they won three and then lost the fourth one. And the third time, they're one and two. So... With this having been a kind of contentious merger in still relatively recent history, I I guess I was wondering, like, now that they have had this really nice sustained period of success with Orioles legend Adam Jones, who I do just want to give a shout out, is there kind of a thawing on what I read, at least from your videos, as a, a frosty sentiment towards this franchise after that contentious coming together of the two? There is and there isn't. Uh, a lot of the fans who were around at the time, the Kintetsu fans who were around at the time, rather, still really are hesitant to come around because a lot of them jumped ship for either the Rakuten Eagles, who replaced the Buffaloes spot in the league, or the Hanshin Tigers. And it's like it, it's one of those things that you can't control how people feel, you know? My mom's family still hates the Arizona Coyotes with every fiber of their being, despite having their team back for over a decade. So uh, from what I've seen, it's a mix. Some people are very happy that the Buffaloes are back there. I saw quite a few people in Kintetsu gear at the Osaka Dome, which you, y'all are my kind of people. And even like in the 2022 Japan series, there was one dude behind home plate in a full Kintetsu Buffaloes uniform, like baseball pants and everything. And that was really cool. It's, I can't speak to it because I'm not in Osaka right now. I'm not walking around with a survey. You know, how do you feel? Were you around when Kintetsu owned the team? And how do you feel now? But it's starting to come around. It didn't help that when they were post-merger, they were fucking awful. You know, to put yeah, it in I mean, nice terms. Like, yeah. Winning solves everything. And I guess that was kind winning of Winning does like, solve quite a few things. This? I think so. Because... The thing about the Osaka-based PL teams is they were always for the contrarian. The Hanshin Tigers were the big team. They were the more famous team. They weren't the most successful team, but they played against the best. Like In in their mind, there was this whole thing where the CL is better than the PL, results of the Japan series be damned. 
you know, the Tigers played against, in their mind, the better players. They had the better stadium. Uh, they had the bigger fan base. And so, if you, well, if, if you were a contrarian who liked winning, you were a Braves Blue Wave fan. And if you were a contrarian who didn't care about winning, you were a Kintetsu Buffaloes fan. So to take those two groups and kind of like put them together, it's a little bit, you know. Contrarians are, are classically people that get along well with other groups of people and do well with like forced social interaction. It, it depends because from what I've seen, Swallows fans really accepted the Fighters fans in when the Fighters left for Hokkaido. So it can be. But then again, the Swallows were the team of the artist the team of the author, the team of the the downtrodden, and the fighters were the team for the weirdos. <laughs> so, like, there is solidarity there. I think that... I know I'm rambling about this, but I think that the winning has fixed a lot of things. It hasn't fixed everything, but the sides are finally starting to come together. Diaz, I want to turn back to you for a second. Like, as we are constantly trying to find as much distraction as we can in the world of sports. Like looking back, is there anything else from this season uh, as our reigning NPB champion other than the championship that, that kind of stuck out to you? Well, the one thing that I think if we're going to tell the story of the 2023 Hanshin Tiger season, the one thing that we need to touch on is that former Tiger Suguru Iwazaki during the 2023 season. It was Yokota. It was Yokota. Sorry, oh, no, okay. I, I, so, okay, so it was... Yeah, well, I'll clearly say that. Yeah, Shintaro Yokota, former Tiger, uh, passed away of brain cancer, and the entire team basically dedicated the rest of the season to his memory. It was Suguro Iwazaki who carried out his uniform in tribute um, at one of their home games following that. And the, like those are the kind of things that really can make a season more special, kind of like a rallying cry for the team. and. If we're going to tell the story of the 2023 Tigers, that's one thing that must absolutely be noted. The cool thing is when they won the pennant, that Yokota jersey, they got it from his mother. Before they were about to win the CL pennant, they called his mom and basically said, do you have any of his jerseys laying around? We need one of his jerseys out there. And that's why it looks so different from the ones they were wearing, because it was a 2014-ish jersey or something like that. It was a mid-2010s Tigers jersey, and that just... My favorite response to that was after I posted that clip and someone pointed that out, the top comment was, man, I almost got through this video without crying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, how can you not be romantic about baseball? Now, Diaz and I, we did still have to observe this from afar. Xavier, I know we talked about on the show a little bit, but like you were in Japan and everything and got to see the Swallows. So like, what was, what was the season for you? Unfortunately, the Swallows, like the Buffalo, did not make it to a third straight championship, but uh, have a fun time still? Yeah, you know, that game I went to see ended up being a microcosm of the whole year. Very disappointing for the Swallows. Surprisingly disappointing for Murakami. I don't know, I don't know what happened. Just not, not a good year for his worst year since he was 19. It's hard to get good in information over here. Worst year, really. he still hit 31 home runs. <laughs> yeah, but when you go from in the 50s to 30, yeah. your batting average yeah. drops 50 points, then it's it feels... Mm -hmm. it, it, yeah, and his, and his war dropped from around 10 to 3.5. Yeah, so, so it, like, it's a significant yeah. drop-off, and when he has a drop-off like that, they're not going to do that well. It also felt like a really strong... I know it's always a lot of strong pitching in the Nippon League, but it felt like this year was a really good pitching oh, yeah. year. Yeah. Like, scoring seemed to be down a lot. Just, I mean, that I might be totally wrong, but anecdotally from the games that I watched, it felt like there, there was, was a lot of good pitching. You're, you're, you're not wrong at all. Uh, there was a... In the Pacific Leagues, there are home run champions. It was a, a three-way tie between Hiroto Asamura, Kensuke Kondo, and Gregory Polanco. They all hit 26. That is the lowest total to lead an NPB league since 1962. Yeah, that sounds about right. It was, yeah. Yeah. there was not a lot of hitting going on, at least in the games that I saw. And again, the Swallows were bad, so I wasn't sure if it was just because of that, but. Yeah, um, I saw, I saw a bunch of games around when I was in the greater Tokyo area earlier this year as well. A lot of low-scoring games, but it were fun to watch because I had decided to sit in the Owen Don 
you know, sit in the fan cheering sections. Well, in one case, stand when I was at Yokohama Stadium. Because I was just like, I can get to Yokohama Stadium straight shot from my hotel on the subway. Fuck it, let's do it. Oh, there's only standing room <laughs> tickets? Ah, shit, it's 30 bucks. I don't give a shit. Give me my standing room tickets. I am going to cook myself in the sun. Oh, that was a massively fun time. It's one of those things where it just, it was a little disappointing, but also kind of disappointing in that the two people I was really most excited to follow for mm. this season with Murakami and Sasaki, for Sasaki, it was injuries. It was just, didn't get to see them perform to the level I was hoping for. I did get to watch Yamamoto a lot, which was awesome. And I'm hoping I get to watch him perform more. But I hope I hope it's not on right. a team I don't like, and that it is <laughs> on a team I do like because I really like him. But oh, it's just uh, if you like good pitching, it was a good season. Or if mm. you're a Hunch and Tigers fan, it was a good season. But I still enjoyed the year, even without you know yeah. the success of the Swallows. It's just good. It's fun to watch baseball. Oh, yeah. Speaking of, um, I'll briefly detail when I went. I I went right before Golden Week because I knew Golden Week was going to be a shit show. You know, first Golden Week where people can actually like go and cheer and stuff. It was you weren't going to be able to go get tickets. And so I saw two games at Jingu. I saw a game at the Tokyo Dome. I saw a game up in Saitama and I saw uh, Sasaki versus Yamamoto in Chiba. Fellow YouTuber, the Yaki Cosmopolitan got me tickets for that. Uh, I still owe him. Jeez. Uh, that was a fantastic game. And I also saw a game down in Yokohama. And to me, even though it was low scoring, it was still a lot of fun. You know, the novelty of it. As well as... Uh, maybe it's just the people I was around. Because my first Jingu game and my second Jingu game, there were a bunch of uh, US military guys there up on leave. And sitting around them, uh, I got free beers out of them for explaining the team's histories. And... <laughs> So the second the second Swallows game, uh, I was wearing uh, Yuhei Nakamura Swallows jersey back there. Listeners, you can't see it, but you can't see it either because it's behind a bookshelf. Uh, <laughs> but Yuhei Nakamura wasn't playing that night. Uh, he wasn't in the starting lineup that night. And so I'm just thinking like, oh, God, you know, this is not going to be uh, like whatever. I'll just I'll just sit and enjoy it. It'll be fun. It's a little embarrassing to wear make a jersey of a guy who's not playing in tonight's game. But whatever, we'll have fun. Yuhei Nakamura walked the game off in the 10th. Pinch Cold hit, walk And I'm just like, it was, it was the funniest thing because, like, you hear on the, on the PA, Daida, Nakamura Yuhei. And everyone was just going, like, oh, it's your boy. <laughs> 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 it's your boy. He's going to do it. And then he walked off the game. Yeah. That was he did remind was... me, though. Has there been any update on the Jingu? Because I know they uh, were yes, still it, last night. They were still planning on tearing it down. They're still planning on tearing it down. Ugh, uh, so it, sad. It's, that stadium to me, it just felt comfy in a nice way. Like there was there's something about it feeling like an old cramped hockey arena in a way. James, you may you may know that feeling a little bit better. Royal Farms is so the the right. It's not even Royal Farms Arena anymore. I don't know who the fuck has the rights to the arena in Baltimore. Yeah, I'm gonna always yeah. call it the Royal Farms Arena, but it has a very. It, it had a lot of minor league hockey back in the day, yeah. and it's had a lot of like indoor soccer. And I've been to a couple of those, so I can vaguely imagine what it is like to be in an arena that is not really cared about that maybe seats fifteen thousand people max. It doesn't it's, really even feel that way though when you're when you're in it like i mean maybe if you go more times than just you know mm -hmm. the one time i visited but there was nothing in it that to me that felt like th this has to be replaced like soon it, yeah exactly it didn't feel that way it, it felt very homey you know like just the vibe uh it's gonna sound weird but the smell the general like the general aura that, that place gave off it just felt like I'm half a world away from home, but this feels like home, you know? And they, like a team I like doesn't even play there. And I can say that about it. That's that I'm going to be sad when it goes. I'm going to be very sad, but I'm glad that I got to see a game there. At least I see two games there and hopefully a few more before everything uh, comes down. So yeah, damn shame. And in 10 years, when the bribes that were put forth to the politicians <laughs> to make it happen are revealed, it'll be too late to do anything about it. Ugh. So is it, it's being torn down like before the 
successor has been fully constructed. Yeah, I'm, they're I'm kind of out of the loop on this. They, they, they want to redevelop like the whole area. I think they're going to play one at least a year in the Tokyo Dome. I mean, they can do it. Tokyo Dome has hosted two teams before. So it's it's not like it's completely out of the question for them to do that. And then while they wait for a replacement to be built in the area. But it's not it's well, like Yankee Stadium. It's not going to be the same. You know? Will this make it so that Xavier has two different teams that share a stadium with the Giants? Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, oh. two nickels, baby. J E T S. Oh man, Xavier, I didn't that realize was... you were a Jets fan. Yeah, that, that was a, it was a rough one yesterday. It was. Uh, oh. It's all right. We're not here to talk. We're not fifteen point lead to the Browns. No, no, James, you don't get to say that. I talked about this earlier. You have had more touchdowns in a game than the Jets have had all season. <laughs> so we don't want to hear this. It's pretty bad. It's pretty we bad for y'all. I'm we're not we're not gonna talk about the NFL. We're not gonna talk about the Winnipeg Jets. Let's let's get back on track and talk <laughs> about baseball. <laughs> Please save me. <laughs> he says. But yeah, Jingu there's gonna be a new Jingu Stadium, I guess. They're they're putting it where the rugby ground is and they're tearing down the rugby ground and putting a rugby ground where the baseball stadium is. It's just madness. Why does it have to happen? I don't know, because that rugby ground is also extremely like important to Japanese rugby. Kind of like the first legitimate rugby stadiums in Japan. So it's just like I don't know. Gotta switch them. Gotta switch them. How can we piss off the most people in one go? Let's tear down both stadiums. <laughs> Oh my god! Like it's not the first time a team has lost the stadium before um, because of redevelopment. I mean, what was really dumb was the Nippon Ham Fighters back when they were the Toei Flyers in the early '60s. They played in a and in, in the outer suburbs of Tokyo, and that stadium they played there for two years or or five years or whatever. They loved it hard to get to but the fans loved it because it was like it was ours we were our own team we don't have to share a stadium with the giants anymore the tokyo city government kicked him out to demolish that stadium to put up one of the stadiums for the 1960 tokyo olympics so they were actually the first pro team to call jingu home because of that and they won their first japan series while playing at jingu sad yeah it's it's you know, it's it's a place with so much history. Other, there's one photo I want to find though from one of the Negro League barnstorming tours of Japan. It's Emperor Hirohito playing catch with one of the players. I I forget exactly who. I'm just gonna guess Larry Doby. Um, but it it's just like something that would be like completely unthinkable. Hirohito was. I don't know if he was emperor or still crown prince at that point, but just think about that for a second. <laughs> you know, there's a photo out there and it's apparently in like some book from the time that's like tucked away in an archive of just that, which is really cool in a way. Like it, it makes the history nerd in me go, wow, you know? I appreciate you guys putting this off, but we do have three teams. And so I will now take a second to talk about the Chunichi Dragon. <laughs> here's the good news i'm very used to being a fan of bad baseball teams and the junichi dragons were that finishing 56 and 82 which was at the bottom uh the only team that was below the occult swallows was the junichi dragons (laughs) we're not last (laughs) exactly that was a whole thing with like uh swallows fans late in the season it's just like please just let's not finish last let's not suffer the indignity of making the japan series and finishing last the next year which has only happened i believe once and like i get that because again that's that's something that i've clung to desperately as a baseball fan many years just does suck when you fail to to avoid that ultimate goal so so i want to take back for a sec to the world baseball classic because i will say in addition to it just being an incredible world baseball classic it was cool to have a couple more people to follow during that to like have a little bit more interest i you know had a vested interest in team cuba and then before the season started, we had a defection. Yariel Rodriguez, Rodriguez. Was like, actually, I'm not going back to Chunichi. Uh, so before the then, season even yeah. started, I had gotten to experience that. 
And then he realized very quickly that, oh shit, MLB teams actually respect NPB contracts. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he it, it, it was himself into a corner. It was so funny to see a bunch of people talk out their ass about that. Just like, oh, you don't know how America deals with Cuba. You're not dealing with Cuba here. Yeah. The Cuban Baseball Federation acted as his agent, but they didn't sign the contract. You know, it's... Yariel Rodriguez's signature is on that contract. That is legally binding. I don't care who you are. I'm hoping that that is basically going to, you know, maybe affect your Rodriguez and because they're keeping to that won't keep the rest of the team ever from being it. Cause there were then like, as I started to follow the rest of the scenes, like I, I found bright spots. I know how to find a yeah. bright spot uh, that did clear up some room in the bullpen for like two stars that I enjoyed. There was another Cuban Rydell Martinez. I really liked getting to watch. Uh, let me make sure I get the name right. Kento Fujishawa. Just under nine strikeouts per nine. And both of those guys, right, El Martinez and Kento Fujishawa, sub one ERAs because, again, yeah. it was just crazy year the pitcher. And the the boy that you got me a little hyped on, Yuki Okabayashi, had his first three career home runs mm -hmm. at any level. Had never hit a home run yeah. in the minors. Had never hit a home run in the majors. Three home runs this season. Does distract from his 655 OPS. Again, you're the pitcher. There just like there wasn't a lot on the field to be super thrilled yeah. about, but I really did enjoy just the act of following it. I loved kind oh, of yeah. working in my routine. I I wake up very early most mornings when I have work up at about five thirty, so I'm like in the kitchen making my coffee throughout the summer, and I'm watching the Orioles highlights. And the whole time, you know, when I wake up, I'm hopping into the third or fourth inning of the Dragons game, and oh, oh they lost. Boo fucking who, whatever. Baseball is a game fundamentally built around failure. Like, it was in no way something that I couldn't derive enjoyment of. And yeah, I just really enjoyed that. I mean, I like enjoyed knowing what you and Yaku Cosmopolitan, who I did follow on Twitter, uh, it's uh, God just cannot be on there anymore. Glad that we got one season of NPB with Twitter helping to follow it. I do think, Diaz, that while you are not the problem, Maybe I'm the problem because the one last thing that actually I just saw in my notes about the uh, Hanshin Tigers championship that kind of relates to me being the problem. Orioles legend Shintaro Fujinami was on the Hanshin Tigers for a while prior to this year. And as someone that did largely enjoy the Shintaro Fujinami experience here in Birdland, it was rough today to see an article from him where he was talking about how much it did genuinely hurt him that they won a championship the year he left and said it was like a friend of 10 years going off and getting married. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I might be the problem. I don't know. But I do apologize to the dragons if I am the problem because I genuinely oh, had a good time like following. No, this you aren't you aren't the problem. Kazuyoshi Tatsunami is the problem. And I think anyone who looks at the dragons knows that their manager is just an absolute fucking idiot. I, I'm not even going to mince words. He's a vain dickhead who has absolutely no fucking idea what he's doing, and he's wasting the talent on that roster. Because on paper, the Chunichi Dragons should be a fringe playoff team. They should be in the hunt. Hey, it, it kind of felt that way. Like, every it, time I, yeah. like, looked to catch up on the stats and stuff, I felt like they, I don't see a lot of bad players here. Yeah, it's a team that is managed like shit. Uh, Kenta Bright got demoted to the minors despite being a plus bat. And there's a lot of talk about Kenta Bright might have a breakout season next year because he hit extremely well in the minors last year and was having a similar season before he got sent down to Chusei Manami in 2022. And then Manami had his breakout year this year and put up five war, hit 25 home runs, and was an absolute defensive god. So you've got some bright spots in your future. Kenta Bright being one of them. It feels very Tony La Russa with the Chicago White Sox. Like, you looked at those Chicago White Sox teams. You're like, how? How is this, how team, is this team not competing for the playoffs? If not competing in the playoffs, like, how is this team not in the playoff race, at least? Oh, the guy in charge mm -hmm. is just fucking dumb. And they brought him back for the final year of his contract. Dude, he signed a three-year deal. And they're bringing him back for the final year. And I'm just like, oh, we got one more year of a shit show. But the fun thing is, he's bringing in his a bunch of his old high school buddies. Because Kazuyoshi Tatsunami is part of P.L. Gakuin. Uh, so P.L. Gakuin in the mid-80s were one of the most dominant high school baseball teams in history. 
they made the Koshan finals four out of five years and won it three times. And that's with Kazuyoshi Tatsunami, Kazuhiro Kiyohara, uh, Pirates legend Masumi Kuwata, and a uh, dude named Atsushi Kataoka. He'd already brought in Kataoka. Uh, Kuwata wants nothing to do with coaching. He's kind of just done. But next year, they're bringing in Kazuhiro Kiyohara as a bench coach. The thing about Kazuhiro Kiyohara, he's a very polarizing figure. He's one of the greatest players in NPB history. Also, more than likely, allegedly, did steroids. And there's steroid rumors around Tatsunami as well from his time. Uh, But my favorite article about that was from Yahoo Sports, where they described it as looking to make a powerful drug injection to the hitting core. (laughs) At which point, I'm like, props to the guy who got that by the editors, because that is... (laughs) I, I raise my glass to you, man. That is that is some. Um, it's it's going to be a shit show. I think we all know it's going to be a shit show for at least okay. one more year. So twenty twenty five dragons is what I twenty twenty five dragons Japan series champions. You hear it for you heard it here first Beautiful. now. Uh, but a lot of people were trying to compare Tatsunami to Sadaharu O's early days of running the Hawks in the mid nineties because he was incredibly unpopular. The team was bad, and there was one thing where it got it got to the point where the hawks fan base swarmed the team bus after a bad loss at a countryside game and flipped it this this is their fans this is their fans yeah yeah and there's also a time where the fan base started sh- chanting oh quit quit now get the hell out of here in that way like, but the thing is, O was fundamentally a smart manager. The team was just bad, and he, the Hawks also had some money and were signing top free agents. Like they had grabbed a couple Hall of Famers in free agency. They were drafting extremely well. The Dragons aren't doing that, and and the Dragons are a team that is worse than they should be. The Hawks under O were about where they should be, if that makes um, sense. Yeah, and and people. We don't have, like, you know, newspaper money anymore. <laughs> exactly. And even then, like, Daye was... Daye went bankrupt in, like, 2004. And people... One thing I've actually found recently is that a lot of people who grew up in Hawaii in the 90s were Daye Hawks fans. Hmm. Because Daye had supermarkets in Hawaii. And they were selling, like, Daye Hawks gear. Meant for, like, Japanese tourists, obviously. Yeah. But Daye Hawks games were also on TV in Hawaii. So some kids who grew up in Hawaii decided to watch the Hawks games because it was like on at better times than MLB. <laughs> and so like that's something I found that was really weird. It's like I grew like I'm from Hawaii, but I grew up a diehard Hawks fan. I'm like, all right, that's cool. I didn't know that. That's sick. I love that. I love weird pockets of, of fandom. Yeah. That exists. Like I love the um, Anthony Santander a couple of years back. Oh, yeah. The Orioles were very bad. Had a group of British scouts that were all in the left field behind him. And yeah. just not knowing anything about baseball, they cheered for Anthony Santander anytime he did anything. And <laughs> so that is now the international Anthony Santander fan club. He, he is yeah. a weirdly well-selling jersey in, in Britain. Yeah. Um, but with that kind of segue back to MLB, we do always mention that at Remember That Guy, we are a fundamentally backwards looking project but there are some things to look towards xavier also alluded to this earlier there are some players that will be coming over that uh soon we will all need to know the names of there are big ones like yamamoto and imanaga please by all means share thoughts on them but you know i imagine you also have a few more diamonds in the rough that we can kind of now be privy to with with what we should look forward to that what we're looking at right now the big diamond in the rough would be yuki matsui Longtime closer for the Eagles. He just declared international free agency, uh, meaning that he can, you know, he can sign with an MLB club. No posting fee uh, or anything. You hear and, that, Michael Elias? No posting fee. No posting fee, Michael Elias. <laughs> the thing about Yuki Matsui is that a lot of people are going, oh, he's too short. This is a guy who is one of the most dominant relievers of the 2010s and was like actually one of the last great draft scrambles which is, I think is pretty cool. So if you don't know how the MPB draft works, is that in the first round, it's a free-for-all. You can select anyone. 
and then they have runoff rounds that are also like free-for-alls anyone who hasn't already been won in the previous rounds five teams went after yuki matsui so there is precedent there i believe it was the Bay Stars, the Hawks, the Eagles, who ended up getting him. I believe the Fighters also went after him, too. So, so wait, I, it's like a fantasy auction draft, basically. In a way, yes. Uh, basically, like, Hideo Nomo had nine teams go after him. And then you have a lottery in which the worst teams get to pick first. So, for example, the Dragons pick someone who the Swallows also pick, right? Because the Dragons are the worst team, they get to pick the envelope out of the box first. Take that, Xavier. I mean, <laughs> we talked about this previously. There were some years where the Swallows had drafted people and nobody signed with them, like in the yeah. 60s. So they would have like 25-man draft classes with zero people actually signing for them. <laughs> I think it was like the first ever draft they had. It's like, like 14 people and two signed with the club. So like... In that way, yeah, people refusing to sign is is not as common anymore. It still happens because there's obviously people who want to go to a certain place. Like with Tomoyuki Sugano, who was the nephew of now former Yamiuri Giants manager Tatsunori Hara. He basically said, I'm going to the Giants or nothing. And the fighters drafted him anyway. And then he went, yeah, no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not playing for anyone but my uncle. So nepotism in a way yes but like come on he wasn't exactly coy about it you knew (laughs) if there is a case of a player who is not skipping the draft but saying very clearly about who he wants to go to a lot of teams respect that a lot more now than they used to because it used to be that in the 70s and 80s a lot of times there were cases of people just flat out refusing to respect players wishes and going yeah well tough shit and um i think one 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 example of ways that got around it, as I was talking about with Pirates legend Masumi Kawada, he basically said, oh, I'm going to university, I'm going to university. He never withdrew from the draft, so the Giants took him and basically said, hey, he was never gone. But back to it, so Matsui Matsui has been an absolutely dominant reliever. He's got the lowest fly ball rate in the league, which is, uh, there's there's a concern about Shota Imanaga right now is that he gives up like something like 55% fly balls, like in the 50s, so like, is he left-handed, and would he be interested in pitching in front of perhaps a very, very large left-field wall? <laughs> he might just be. And with with Yuki Matsui, I think he would be a solid piece in any bullpen. He's better than Yoshihisa Hirano, who is half-decent in MLB, and he's better than a lot of these star relievers that have come over in the past, like Kazuhiro Sasaki. He's better than Kazuhiro Sasaki was, and he's playing doing it against better competition. I think what we're going to see with, with Matsui is he's going to be a key part of the bull team that takes him. There's one guy who's, who's less uh, well-known and probably won't be going over because he's basically already said, like, I'll take nothing but a major league contract. It's Naoyuki Uesawa. He's very much an innings eater. He's a very league average pitcher. We got an RA minus of 100 on the dot and a fit minus of 98. You know, he's one of those guys who... I don't think we'll have success. He does not have the speed for it. He does not have the stuff to really get outs at the major league level. But some team probably may just jump on him just for reasons of why the hell not. Uh, I, outside of the big two, those, those are kind of really the only guys who have a shot of coming over because everyone else, uh, Kona Takahashi got his posting request denied. Think of it as like a team, a team exercising a team option because the Lions think we have plans of like trying to turn this around. So we're going to give you another shot. Uh, a few other guys who've got IFA are all too old, you know, to be any like any any kind of view on it. But if we're talking about Shota Imanaga for a second, we're talking about a guy who led all of NPB in strikeouts last year. He's got the stuff to do this it's just a case of limiting fly balls it's a that he struggles with and it's a case of getting a bit more movement on his pitches i think a team that plays in a pitcher's park that has a fairly deep you know left field wall will uh will he'll have success with them but he is definitely going to be the number two piece because it like how do i how do i how do i talk about yamamoto without just like going through his stats give me a second here 
Don't worry, you can just go through his stats. We, oh, yeah. We're all well aware of how insane Yamamoto is, but yeah, he's I still break, like he's, to hear it. He's breaking team records that were set during World War II. Let's put it that way. A time when the talent pool was massively depleted and, and pitchers just absolutely destroyed the competition. Like, I'm trying to remember the guy's name who pitched during, I think it was Kotaro Mori. I think it's, I think that might be his name, but he set a bunch of team records in 1941 and 1942. Yamamoto has been breaking those records in a offensive environment that while still bad is not nearly as bad, right? Uh, He actually had a bit of a down year in terms of overall value, seven war. And seven war is considered a down year for him, but that's only because he only threw 164 innings. This is <laughs> as a opposed to opportunity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> by low opportunity here. Yeah, definitely. But uh, 1.74 FIP. That's a FIP minus of 50. A 1.21 ERA. His third straight year with a sub two ERA. Uh, his 1.82 ERA, he is one of three pitchers to throw at least 800 innings and have a career ERA under two. The other two are Yu Darvish and Kazahisa Inao. Kazahisa Inao was the ace of the Lions in the 50s. You know, we're talking about a guy who, in the, the, the late 50s, dead ball was a thing in Japan. So we're talking about a guy who is putting up just absolutely historical numbers, who is well and truly one of the best pitchers in the world and is going to command at least $200 million. Like, if you're not a big market, you're not in on him at this point in time. So where, where I think Imanaga goes... I think Imanaga goes to whatever team loses out on, on Yamamoto. I think, the honestly. The get the innings eater that you mentioned. Like, oh, as yeah, soon now as you, you started Uesa. talking about I was like, oh, god damn it. They're, oh, they're god go- fucking damn it. Now, and- now, Yuki Uesawa, you are a Baltimore Oriole. Uh, <laughs> no, but I think, I think um, if now Yuki Uesawa ends up anywhere, I think he might end up being a St. Louis Cardinal. Because he just seems like the kind of guy the Cardinals sign. In a James, way. you can get Yariel. He's a, officially a free agent now. Yeah. MLB said so last week. Let's, he can sign yeah, anyone. Let's not. Let's, let's <laughs> no, not. No, no, no. But when it, when it comes to Yariel Rodriguez, there is basically there was a clause built into that contract where if he doesn't play for us for a year, we can release him. And so that's how they got... They, three Cuban relievers if we did that. <laughs> they, they, they got away with it because the reason the Dragons held on to him is they don't want to piss off the Cuban Baseball Federation because the Dragons don't have money. So the smartest thing for them to do to get good foreign players is to get players out of Cuba because they're going to come in at less of a cost. They're going to be more of a question mark. It's, it's a bit risky because this they can't the affect. This is the best chapter in Moneyball. This is my absolute yeah, favorite it's, chapter. It's a, it's a bit risky because they can't affect, but you can get your Rydell Martinez's and sometimes guys are loyal. Like Rydell, a lot of people think, worry about, like want Rydell Martinez to defect. He's not defecting. Even in the absolute shit tier situation that is the Dragons, he is playing out his contract. He even joked about that during spring training, Tatsunami was just like, you know, did you get me a gift from Cuba? And Rydell responded with, I am the gift. (laughs) So we're talking about a guy who is, we're talking about a way of thinking that has kind of permeated the Dragons. I mean, I, I can say that the Carp did the same thing too. The Carp still have a Dominican Academy. Like, trying to get players out of the Dominican because it is the cheaper way. Of course, we, we royally screwed the pooch and lowballed Alfonso Soriano. But, you know, <laughs> it's just kind of how that is. I think when it comes to Yamamoto, I think it's either going to be Mets, Yankees, Dodgers, Mariners, Giants, Blue Jays, Phillies. Those are the teams who I think could sign him for the money that they're trying to sign him for. Uh, I think the Jays... The Jays actually have a good reputation among Japanese fans, from what I've seen. Like, because a lot of them really actually didn't mind the way they treated Shintaro Fujinami. Not Shintaro Fujinami. I mean, uh, Shun Yamaguchi. I should be hung in the town square. Uh, But (laughs) (laughs) Shun Yamaguchi was not good. The Jays still treated him with a good amount of respect and even with the shit show that was people like bashing kikuchi in 2022 fans have come around on him quite a ways 
So I think the Jays do have a legitimate shot. It's just a case of if Rodgers will pony up the money. Who I'm knows? terrified of the thought of the Dodgers getting both Yamamoto, Yamamoto and, and Otani. No, nah, so he's going to Atlanta, which is for six hundred million dollars. Like, yeah, we we're just gonna drop six hundred million dollars. Uh, Dude, to get the amount these of two. the amount of merch the Dodgers already sell in Japan because of Nomo, because of the history with Nomo and Maeda and Kuroda and like before the Mariners kind of became Japan's team, the Dodgers were Japan's team, and so. It also helps that the LA Dodgers make a lot of money off of merch for the same reason the New York Yankees do. That cap has transcended the team. It means something all on its own. Dodgers get both, immediately spend half their home games in Japan and make a trillion dollars. <laughs> that would be that would be really funny, uh, honestly. But I think have the Dodgers ever played a home game in Japan? Because I know the Mariners and, and A's did it in 2019. Uh, that was a really cool experience there too. You know, getting to see Ichiro's last game at the Tokyo Dome. They should have done it at Kobe Sports Park, but I understand why they did it in, at the Tokyo Dome because, you know, more more revenue from there. But honestly, Yamamoto is going to be a Cy Young contender from day one. And a lot of people like to go, oh, he's, he's playing in a shittier league, this and that. No, man, 28 of the 32 players on Samurai Japan were NPB years. They won the WBC. Like, if that doesn't tell you that this is a league that deserves respect, I don't know what does. If you, you know? want to, like, make comments about, you know, the average guy in a lot, like the average number six hitter or whatever. Yeah. Not that that is fair, but admittedly, yes, that is probably somewhere where the league mm-hmm. starts to separate a little bit in terms yeah. of overall, like, depth. It's and, depth, and yeah. Cool. But those elite guys are elite guys. Yeah, exactly. Um, Speaking of one last potentially elite guy, we don't necessarily know, but going back to, you know, you mentioned getting around the draft with university and stuff. There's one other thing I think we have to kind of get your opinion on, which is Rintaro Sasaki. Yeah, Rintaro Sasaki, who Xavier has brought up in Making Memories before, he is going to be attending Vanderbilt this year as a way to bypass having to go through NPB and, and be beholden to this posting system. I guess the big question is, we we'll know in a couple of years as he plays college, like what that's going to look like for him. What does this look like for NPB and for other Japanese players? Do you think this is a one-off or do you think this is something we're going to start seeing more of? I think this is a one-off because MPB is already pretty much, they've already changed the rules surrounding draft signing. It used to be that you had to sign before March. Now that has been extended into July to allow players who go to American universities to finish their degree if they get drafted out of an American university. Big thing with Rintaro Sasaki is I think he is jackknifing his career doing this. I'm going to be very honest. It, it's his dad who is making him do this. Like, If he wants to get a good education, go for it. Good for it. I understand why he wanted to go to university and not go to university in Japan. Because university ball in Japan is... Full of all this pseudo-feudal bullshit that still permeates. And Rintaro never had to deal with that because he was the coach's kid. And I, I think that was part of the reason behind it. But at the same time, you're not going to get as good of a training. You're not going to get as many ABs. You're not going to face as good a competition. And you're not going to be able to truly prove yourself. I think the good thing, though, is that since Sasaki hasn't out, he hasn't pissed off NPB enough that they're not going to take him, that they're not going to golden parachute him if no MLB team really wants to take him in the high rounds. But I think that NPB is going to be very cognizant of the fact that this could happen, and they're going to do a lot to make sure it doesn't happen. Because the thing that was already the problem was... That if you went over immediately, your school lost a lot of funding for its baseball program. Because a lot of NPB teams would actually provide funding. And it's one of the reasons why Yuki Yanagida, you know, there was a whole thing where Yanagida went to, I believe, Hiroshima commercial, or was it, it was a different high school in Hiroshima. And the Red Sox wanted him out of high school, but their scout could not talk to him. The school actively barred him from even going to games. 
I don't think it's going to get to that point, but I think there's going to be a lot more cognizant of of what these players want, what these players need. I think this should, if anything, cause a shakeup in university baseball, like we're already seeing right now in high school baseball when KO won Koshen and they don't have all the buzz cuts and the militarist kind of bullshit and their whole slogan was enjoy baseball. I think because of Rintaro Sasaki, we are going to see something like that in university baseball sooner. So it, uh, it will serve a sort of player empowerment purpose, you yeah, think, just not I, necessarily I think, in the way of like sending more people over there. I but... don't think it's going to send more people over. What I think it's going to do is be a wake-up call for a lot of okay. Japanese universities to you know run their baseball teams to be a little bit more player-focused. And I think it's going to cause a lot of NPB teams to look at boosting their salary and and i don't think they want to accept the position that they're going to lose all their best players but i think it's going to cause a bit more except make sure that this is the primary road i think what was really cool about jung hu lee is that he went to play in uh, in the kbo and not jump over out of high school like a lot of korean prospects do because korean prospects from what we've seen who jump over immediately I can count on one hand the guys who worked out, Chan Ho Park and um, Shin Su Chu. Everyone else has failed. Or, you know, is too early to call. So, KBO does have that going with them with Jung Hoo Lee deciding to stay. Then again, part of it was because his dad is a KBO legend. And, son of the wind. And the grandson yeah, of the wind. Grandson of the wind the grandson of the wind. And even then, when, he, when his dad... His, his dad left for greater things but he went to japan you know in, instead of jumping over to mlb i think that jung hu lee is going to set the example that you don't need to jump over immediately because i think he is going to be good uh, i have a con- i have concerns about jung hu lee uh and his positioning and the way he plays but i think that that's more to do with you know where the team korea plays him and where the kiwum heroes play him but I think him and Hasung Kim are going to be the kind of guys that make Korean youth go, KBO is viable. And NPB, what, what they need to do is prove that they're... Vi- there was a lot of thought that they, they'd proven that they were viable when they got Shohei to sign with the fighters. But there needs to be a bit more incentive to go, like, NPB is viable. And a lot of right now, that you have a lot of people cheering for Rintaro, but you've got a lot of people praying for his downfall. Because if he, if he flips, if he flops at Vandy, it's going to be further proof that NPB is the option you want to go for. We're also seeing a lot more with teams like with the Swallows agreeing to post Munitami when he turns 25. Teams not standing in the way of their stars when they want to go over anymore. It's not really a case of obstructionism. I mean, there is and there isn't. I mean, Kona Takahashi didn't get posted this year, but... The usual song and dance was you said you wanted to get posted a year before it happened, and then you got posted. Nowadays, it's a lot more like with with Masataka Yoshida, how he said, like, I want to get posted and immediately got posted. That's something that's going to happen a lot more. And I think that at the end of the day, what NPB needs to do to continue to prove itself as the viable league is salary. Like, there are teams that can pay players a major league salary. Uh, the Hawks, the Eagles, the, uh, the Giants, the Tigers, they can pay a major league salary. The issue is the teams that can't. And, what up, you know, Dragons? Ja- dragons. Let's go! <laughs> the issue is the Dragons and the Carp uh, and all that stuff are in a bit of a financial deficit. So, NPB needs to do a lot of soul-searching about where they stand. Do you want to continue to go for being the number one league in the world, or are you content with number two? And I think they need to be content with number two, but they need to prove that they are the best option. With Rintaro Sasaki, if he succeeds, we're going to see more people do it. If he fails, good for NPB. As much as I don't want to prey on people's downfall, I am kind of hoping that Rintaro Sasaki is not a first-round pick in MLB, and that because he'd be a first-round pick in the NPP draft, even if he doesn't do well at Vandy. Or a first- or second-round pick. And, I mean, he's already walked away from... He's already walked about $10 million 
by doing this if if he is the player he says he is. So it, it's it's very tough to see what the youth want to do. Uh, I think it's going to be have to be a wait and see case. But I think the the key thing that really shows is going to be if they both make the majors. If both Rintaro Sasaki and Munitaka Murakami make the majors, who does better? Because if it's Murakami, guess what? NPB is more viable. Yeah. And like one thing he was trying to say is that this will get me to the majors faster. It won't. You're going to go there at 25 regardless. But do you want to get there at 25 with a deal in the tens of millions? Or do you want to get there at 25 on a rookie contract? I mean, yeah. it's, it's a fair question. I am... I am, I think, more just excited to see how it turns out. And and doesn't sound like you're hoping for him to fail. You're just hoping for like no, I'm, moderate success. I'm hoping moderate success because I think that going to a school like Vandy, I have interviewed people who transferred out of Vandy baseball and gone to Division Two because it actually gets them ABs. They were hot shit coming out of high school. They go to Vandy. They don't get any playing time. And that's something to bring up real quick. So Vandy is considered the strong favorite for him. He is not officially committed to Vandy. Okay. So I think when the early reports came out, everyone said he committed to play at Vandy. But everything Mm -hmm. that's been more recently is that he's still assessing his options, but that Mm -hmm. a lot of schools are into him and Vandy is the favorite. So it's not a guarantee that he'll go to Vandy. Mm -hmm. He could very much still end up there, but apparently he does have a lot of other options. And the second important thing to note is that because he's going to be an international student, he cannot oh, profit off of, off of his NIL while he's there. So he is really giving. It's not like he can give up professional contract, but then make a ton by endorsements. No, he he is not going to be making any money while yeah. in college. Meanwhile, he's walking away from tens of millions of dollars if he is the player that you know the world thinks he is, right? Because the whole thing with Munitaka America, like uh, people talk about, like. Uh, Shogo Asano, who was a uh, first-round pick of the Giants last year, he actually made he he made uh, NPB as an 18-year-old. He wasn't great, but he made it and he got reps. He got in. I think he's making eighty-five to ninety thousand dollars a year. Uh, that which will probably get a raise now that he's probably going to be starting out of camp uh, on the on the major league roster. And he had a eight hundred thousand dollar signing bonus. So that's already $880,000 or so that Rintaro has walked away from. He's leaving a lot of money on the table to do this. And Shohei did the same thing. But people forget that the only reason that Shohei got posted, it was, it was the last year of the old posting system, which was that the posting fee was negotiated separately. Now it's like a tax, right? It's a tax on top of what you're paying the player, right? So for example... Masataka Yoshida's posting fee was something like $15 million because that was on top of the $75 million guaranteed that the Red Sox were giving him. Yeah, it's a set percentage now. It's a set percentage now. It's, it's like 20% of the first $25 million, 17.5% of the next $25 million, 15% on whatever's past that. The fighters would have made less than a million dollars in posting fee from Otani. Instead, they got $20 million from the Angels for posting him. So people talking about like whenever someone says Roki is going to come over early, you can faithfully tell them to shut the fuck up because there is no way in hell the Marines are posting him because they won't make money. Right. Once they get 25. Yeah. Post him because then you can get a shit ton of money. But pre 25. No, not unless MLB uh, updates their international free agency rules, which a lot of teams don't really want to do. And a lot of other leagues don't really want to do and they could technically there would be legal avenues that like something like a kbo or npb would be able to challenge that you know as a way of like survival (laughs) i guess is the best way to put it so with all of that talk of the future there is one last little i think you know kind of guy remembering lightning round palate cleanser i wanted to throw at you yeah Uh, this one is with like no preparation for it. I just want to serve you up this little bowl sorbet. And without context, and we mentioned Gregory Polanco earlier being one of the home run leaders. For people who like to remember guys 
throw out there just some of the names from XMLB players that that first come to mind for you from this past season. RSD Zucchino uh, got signed by the Dragons. Everyone thought he was going to break the Dragons' uh, home run record year one. He got sent down to the minors in April and never called back up. <laughs> oh, believe me, the sheer amount of ammunition I have now for this offseason. It's going to be glorious. Um, Foster Griffin, a uh, former Royals pitcher. Uh, he was the best foreign pitcher in Japan last year. Uh, put up 4.1 war in nine less innings than a certain Trevor Bauer. And was also number three starter on his team, but was a very bright spot on the Amiri Giants. Uh, other guys, other guys. Um, Frank Schwindel failed. Andrew <laughs> Abbott, sorry about that yeah, one. Sometimes, uh, sometimes the Schwind blows in your favor, sometimes it blows against you, it blew against him at that point in time. But not before Works Buffalo's Kids Day, in which the players had their nicknames in katakana on the back of their jerseys. So there is out there, they don't, I think they sold out of them, but there are Frankuze Tanke jerseys <laughs> out there. And uh, he hit a home run on that day. I think he hit his only NPB home run on that day. So, you know, there you go. Um, other guys. Uh, Luis Castillo. No, not that one. Uh, Luis F. Castillo, uh, who played on the Detroit Tigers before getting taken by the Chibalote Marines. Uh, had one of the best strikeout to walk ratios in all of NPB and was a because he was a good relief pitcher for the Tigers. And it was when I the, my first response when he got signed was the typical can't have shit in Detroit because he would have been <laughs> like, he, he was a very good MLB reliever and he was a very good NPB reliever. Funny how that works. Uh, the guy, another former Let's bring us home with one last great one. OK. Oh, yeah. Matt Davidson. Remember Matt Davidson? Matt Davidson! Matt Davidson. Hiroshima Carp. Matt Davidson. He started out very slow, but in August, he put up a WRC plus over 200, and he kind of became known as a giant killer. Half of his home runs came against the Giants. He barely homered against any other team. Half of his homers came against the Giants, and uh, the moment after he shaved his beard, he hit two home runs in a game, I think. So the uh, he became he became kind of a, a dark horse fan favorite. People liked him, and which which I think was really cool, especially because Ryan McBroom did not have a did not have a good. Uh, the Hiroshima Carp may not bring him back next year because he's older, but we're seeing like right now is a, there's a hard reset kind of going on like, with Hiroshima. They're a very smart team now. They're actually embracing analytics, and gee, it's almost like it worked or something. Uh, they finished second when no one expected them to. But uh, right now, <laughs> in a bit of a sad note, they are losing a face of the franchise. A dude named Roma Nishikawa has decided to elect free agency. He said he wanted to sign for a PL team. If you had told someone that 30 years ago, they would have looked at you shocked. So I think this, like, it really kind of shows me from a historical standpoint the shift in the winds over the time. Because 30 years ago, Players from the PL were jumping over to the CL for more money to play better baseball. Never mind that the Lions were winning fucking everything 30 years ago. But now to see that almost reversed. Very odd and cool and sad for me because I liked him a lot. You can't afford to lose plus bats and he was a plus bat. So, Well, those are to you, our fans, our listeners, our fans of guys. Some of the guys that you could look towards. And... Based on everything you said, based on everything we experienced, it seems like a very good time to get into yeah. MPP. I mean, there is certainly some talent drain going on, as we've discussed here for a little bit, but it is as good of a time as ever. And we will all just plug that there is no better way if you want to have an introduction during this offseason to get into it than to check out the work of our friend here, Gaijin Baseball. Um, everything on your channel remains great. And if this has once again piqued anyone's interest, we definitely recommend Anything else that you're like specifically plugging right now? Any projects right now that you're uh, really I'm working on a very awesome. big project. It's going to be a six part project on the best players from every prefecture in Japan, best pitcher and best hitter from every prefecture in Japan and the history behind them. There's going to be some guys you recognize 
your Ichiro's, your Hideki Matsui's, this and that. But there's also going to be a lot of guys who are going to be very fit into the mold of this show. Let's put it that way. Uh, I will share, I might share the story quickly of one of them. Dude named Koji Ota. He was born in a town in Aomori that's basically the air, an airbase town. It's one of the places that has always been big in Japanese aviation. There's an aviation museum there. Uh, to this day, the Japanese Air Self-Defense Force and the U.S. Air Force jointly administer that base. His dad was American. His mom was Japanese. His parents ended up splitting up when he was three, and he gets adopted by another couple, where his dad is his stepdad is Japanese, and his mom, his stepmom is Russian. So, like, it, he, he never really got made to feel weird for being Hafu. And then he makes Koshen in the late 60s, and he's a good-looking dude. He is the originator of two of the biggest stereotypes in Japanese baseball media. The handsome Hafu and the Koshen Dreamboat. He is patient zero. So he was just, he's famous for being sexy. He was famous for being sexy. Yeah. Let's put it this way. He got drafted by the Kintetsu Buffaloes. The Buffaloes played at Nippon Life Stadium at the time. Nippon Life Stadium did not have dedicated women's bathrooms. They had to install dedicated women's bathrooms. He was that good looking. When the team traveled at train stations, they had to huddle around him, herd style, to stop women from trying to get a piece of him. There is one story of one time he came home to the rookie dorms to find a naked woman in his bed. She had broken in. So. (laughs) Fucking dreamboat. Yeah, this is the kind of man he was. He doesn't get married till later because he, he does a lot of commercial. He makes more money on commercial deals than he does as a baseball player. He's a pretty mediocre baseball player, but he's a seven-time All-Star because he's popular. And one of the things he decides to do in the late 90s and early 2000s is give back. He becomes one of the biggest patrons of Japanese women's baseball ever. He was an advisor to the commissioner of the Japanese Women's Professional League which sadly went bust during the pandemic, but it was reformed with a lot more support now. He has been essentially one of the biggest driving forces for getting women into baseball over the last 50-odd years. That's the man Koji Ota is. And so not only is he that, he's also the best pitcher to ever come out of Aomori. So, there you go. I think we need to commend a man who is gifted with this sexiness and uses it for good i yeah. think because there's a there's a lot that don't but he did and i think we need to commend that yeah we love hot idiots that are also nice <laughs> i don't know if he's an idiot we shouldn't say that yeah. um that is a delightful sneak preview i enjoyed that very very much uh i certainly look forward to that we have enjoyed you joining us once again evan we do also, as always, want to give some quick thanks to our producer, Craig, and all the coders behind him, and our musical director, Don Ham, for our lovely theme music. But yeah, thanks for coming on, and again, through both our chats here and your general work helping uh, introduce us and any of our listeners that have decided to join us once again into just this world of uh, a really cool version of a sport that we all already love. That's really all that it is, guys. It's just more baseball. It's awesome. Ain't that the truth? And so we now have, you know, many more seasons of that to look forward to. But in the meantime, we're just going to look forward to having you all join us once again for another episode of Remember That Guy coming up. But until then, I have been James. I've been the very special guest, Xavier. I've been uh, Gaijin Baseball, a.k.a. Evan. And I'm Diaz. And once again, to you, Evan, we must say, Domo Origato. <laughs> 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 <laughs>